The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. This is the official podcast of Jobs.Mom. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and today we're talking about moms on boards. So I have with me today a friend, a very special guest who is um, extremely impressive professionally. She's a lawyer. She sits on a number of uh, publicly held boards, and she's also my co-chairperson uh, on the Newcastle Council of Race uh, on Race and Equity, the CRE. Um, and she's going to be talking to us today about what it means to be on a board, what is a board, how does somebody end up on a board, is the Illuminati involved? Um, and uh, we're going to ask her some questions. And uh, without further ado, I have with me today, Nichelle Maynard Elliott. Nichelle, thanks for being here today. Sabine, thanks so much for having me. You know, I'm always excited to do any projects with you, but I'm particularly passionate about uh, the work that you're doing and the opportunity to, to talk about boards today. Thanks, Nichelle. So you sit on a number of public boards. Most recently, you were appointed to the board of Xerox. So a very hearty, hearty congratulations uh, on that. What an accomplishment. Thank you so much. It's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. When we saw the announcement, I was excited as if I got nominated to the board, but it was you. But it's it's the same thing. If you're nominated, I'm nominated. Of course. It's 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 the same. So, Nichelle, first of all, for everybody that's listening, you know, we we hear this all the time. You know, the board of directors, they're a chairman of the board, chairperson of the board, they sit on a board. What exactly is a board? Yeah, so the Board of Directors is a governing body for an organization. Um, and in the case of a publicly uh, held company, so that's a company that's publicly traded, you know, stock, New York Stock Exchange or uh, NASDAQ, um, the directors are elected by the shareholders and are responsible uh, to represent the interests of the shareholders in terms of how the company is governed, how it's run, um, et cetera. So for, for everyone that's listening, Nichelle, in the hierarchy of things, so we know in a company there's a C-suite, the CEO, the CFO. Where does the board of directors fall in terms of who re- reports to who and where do they fall into the structure of things? Sure. That's that's a great question. So the CEO actually reports to the board of directors and the board of, board of directors, as I noted, are uh, voted on by the shareholders. So uh, everybody in the C-suite and everybody underneath reports to the CEO. But one of the primary responsibilities that directors have or a board has is looking at CEO succession. So who's in the, the first seat? Who's, who's the one flying the plane? And if they're not flying the plane appropriately, who should step into his or her place? 
Yeah. And I think that's really important because it's it's important to note that everybody's got a boss, right? Everybody yeah. reports to somebody. So when we look at companies, so at Xerox, for example, which you were recently just appointed to, it's very easy to think, oh, the CEO, the president, they are kind of at the top of the pyramid, but it's it's not so much a pyramid so much as it is a cycle, I think, right? It's, it's a circle. Yeah. Um, the CEO reports to the board, the board re- reports to the shareholders, the shareholders, you know, and, and it's, 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 a, it's, um, it's far more complex than I think people uh, recognize. So in your roles, Nichelle, you sit on the board of Xerox, you sit on a few other boards if you want to share with our listeners. Sure. Uh, The first board I was appointed to in 2018 is it's actually a specialty chemicals company. Um, It's about a $5 billion market cap, Um, reasonable size company, uh, board of eight um, directors. Um, And that's where I kind of cut my teeth and had an opportunity to um, sit on a board to learn about governance, to learn about public company structure. Um, On that board, I served on the audit committee and the compensation committee because boards typically have a few committees. um, And those are two of the three or four they might have. Um, And then I was more recently um, nominated for the Xerox board. So that will be in effect after the shareholders meeting in May. The shareholders officially vote on the slate of directors and the directors serve uh, until uh, such time as they're voted off or they decide to leave. And I think this is so important and, and so interesting because when you think of boards, you know, we joked about it when I when I introduced you, you know, is it like a shadow organization? Are they like the Illuminati? How does the board actually work? Who actually gets to be on the board? It's something that we hear about all the time, the board of directors, the board of directors, this is the board. But it's it's very rare that people have a clear understanding of how to actually make it onto a board. So for all of our listeners, Nichelle, primarily women, mothers, um, talk a little bit about what it's like, um, what it's like, well, before what it's like to be on a board, why do people opt to be on a board? Because it's a bit of a non-traditional or a different kind of career trajectory. Why would people want to be on a board in the first place? You know, it's funny that you mentioned the Illuminati reference, because I think a lot of people may not opt to be on boards because they don't know a lot about what boards do, where they are, even in your hierarchy of your career, right? So in terms of how you get there, um, board members are typically either uh, senior executives in corporate America. They're really at the top of uh, their their career professionally. And then they are asked to sit on a board to help advise, to help form strategy, et cetera. So it's generally a senior executive. Um, now they're broadening a little more. Sometimes you'll have people in academia or people in politics um, that'll serve on a board. Um, but, um, you know, it, used to be just current or former CEOs and CFOs. Um, recently, as we're looking at uh, diversifying boards, they're really going down a, a level or two from the C-suite, but really people who have uh, broad experience, either in an industry, deep experience in an industry, in a career, in a, uh, in, in a type of um, a specialty like finance or legal or HR or marketing, et cetera. So this is really fascinating because my first real exposure to a professional board member was with you, right? And, you know, you sit on a number of boards and, you know, I sit on a number of boards, but I sit on nonprofit boards, but you are a career board director at this point in your life. So 
if you could share maybe Nichelle, what are what are the benefits of being on a board? Why would somebody opt instead of being in maybe a more executive or operational uh, role, opt to be on a board? And some of the things you mentioned were like flexibility, for example. Yeah. Um, but if you could share a little bit about why somebody would want to be on a board and of course the financial benefits of being on a board. Sure. You know, traditionally, um, I think executives have seen board service as the end game. It's kind of what you do in retirement. So when you've reached the C-suite or you've been a CEO for a number of years and you're reaching an age of 60 or so, you start to look at um, ways that you can still be actively involved in uh, in business, but not with the same, uh, you know, nine to five, nine to seven or 70 hour week commitment that you would have if you're working as an executive. Uh, more recently, uh, people have been looking at board work at a, at a younger age because people have been recruiting younger um, folks. So for me, you know, having practiced corporate law first in law firms and then in corporate America and then moving to the business side to do mergers and acquisitions, I was just at an inflection point in my career where I had the opportunity to either pursue some sort of global executive position or have more flexible time schedule, um, more opportunity, quite frankly, to spend with my family and to do other things that are of interest uh, to me. So when the opportunity came along, it's it's a bit challenging to get your first public board. It's actually very challenging because it's, it's a lot of uh, kind of networking and who knows who right now. Uh, but once you get your first public board, a lot of people will tell you that the other boards will come along. People start to know your name and they appreciate that you have public board and governance experience. Uh, then they ask you uh, if you'd be willing to serve on different boards. So for example, you know, um, you can, you know, people can be anywhere from a board member of one you know, be on one board if they're continuing their executive role, or they could be three to five boards if they're going to be doing uh, board work um, sort of professionally, kind of as an independent director. Um, the, the compensation is very interesting. Um, you know, there is a, there's a portion of it that is cash many times and a portion that is equity. So I like to call it forced savings because as a director, you'll, you'll get an issuance of shares every year, but it's kind of frowned upon if a director is selling the shares that they get because it looks to the public like, well, if that director doesn't really have faith in the company and they're selling their shares, why would we buy shares? So there are only certain instances um, under which you can sell your shares, but you really just build equity over time. So for example, I would say that the, the average amount of time that a director should expect to sit on the board of a company is about 10 years. And that's unless there's um, some transformational transaction, like somebody comes to buy them or sell them or they do a merger and then they cash out. During that time, you're going to um, usually have maybe four meetings, one for each quarter to review the quarterly financials and status of the company and, the, and then a fifth meeting, which is a strategy meeting. So I really trade in my uh, my everyday nine to five, nine to seven, seven day a week job for five meetings. Um, you know, and if you do that times three or four boards, let's call it 15 or 20 meetings, which may be a day, a day and a half a piece, the amount of time, it's really the definition of working smarter, not harder, right? And you're asked to sit uh, among a group of professionals 
and really give your opinion and your advice. You know, you, you really become the master of your own destiny as opposed to being an executive in a company where you're always kind of going to be reporting to somebody who's doing an evaluation. The board evaluates uh, the members, but really once you've been invited to be on the board, they, they've invited you because of your expertise and you have an opportunity to, to really sit and serve and, and kind of work with these people for an extended period of time. And that's so fascinating. So, you know, what you what you said, a, a number of things I think appeals and is appealing to women, especially to mothers, right? You talk about working smarter, not harder or as hard, which is, you know, we have down to a T, I think, as, as working mothers. Um, you talk about having flexibility, right? Where you're maybe 15, you know, 15 meetings a year, for example. Um, you talk about having the um, opportunity to work on a diverse number of projects, not being pigeonholed, yeah. right? These are all things that I think, especially now considering, you know, the mass exodus of women out of the workforce in the pandemic. They have been either fired or furloughed or forced to leave for a myriad of reasons. And, you know, our listeners, these women that are that are unemployed, Michelle, they are executives. They are yeah. professionals, Right. I was a pandemic casualty, right? And mm -hmm. I was the managing director. So I think a lot of what board and, and board director life has to offer gels really beautifully with, you know, a, a working mother, a working woman's um, schedule. But the fact remains that there is abysmal female representation on boards, so before we talk about representation on boards, I guess my my first question would be if you if if our listeners are listening to this and there is a mom somewhere that says, "You know what? I have 15 years of experience in finance, for example. I think that I would like to sit on a board." What what advice would you give to her, Nichelle, in terms of how to lay those stones? And I know you do a lot of board consulting as right. well. Uh, but what advice would you give to women that are considering perhaps pursuing independent board directorship? Sure. And I'm glad you kind of gave a nod to the board consulting because, Sabine, you know, one of the projects I'm working on is uh, an executive coaching uh, service for women who are interested in uh, board service or who want to know about board service. And so what we did was we collected all the information that we could find because so much of this is really just hearsay and in conversations with people. And we wanted to put it all into one place so people would understand. So if you've been, you know, you have 15 years of, of, of um, experience in a particular place and you think that board service is in your future, um, there are a couple of things you can do. First of all, it's really uh, helpful to get experience on uh, non-public boards because it's hard to have your first uh, foray be a public board. So any work that you do in not-for-profits um, that teaches you governance, um, which can then build you know, into larger non-for-profit situations where you um, meet people who can introduce you to people um, that might serve on boards or might know people who are looking for boards, um, that, that's one thing you can do. And then you just start to do your homework and, and you think about, um, you know, what what do I add to a board? You know, if I'm looking at once you're sitting on a not-for-profit board or other space and you, you learn how to kind of have your own voice and understand the rhythm, then you say, how does what I do apply to a, any particular company? So Xerox, for example, is a company 
that I was introduced to last year, as a matter of fact, when they were um, considering the takeover of Hewlett Packard of HP. Um, and because I had mergers and acquisition experience and because I had legal experience, they were looking for, um, and because I had, had actually just finished off a, a merger of a very large um, entity with the company that I worked for, um, they said, oh, we need somebody who has transformational transaction experience. So when I sit and I talk to the CEO and the head of the uh, nominating and governance committee and the, the general counsel of, of Xerox, as they're looking for people, I can say, this is what I would add to your company. You have to know a little bit about the company's life cycle, where they are, uh, what they might be looking to do next, and then determine what you can add add um, in terms of value. And I think this is really valuable information because I have the benefit of being friends with you. So my first thing, you know, when, when Nichelle and I, you know, became friends and Nichelle knows, and, and, you know, I'm quite shameless with my line of questioning, Nichelle, how did you end up on a board? What do you, what do you do on this board? What is this board business, right? How did you get there? Who did you talk to? What did you say? And one of the most interesting things, Nichelle, that you told me about nonprofit boards, right? Um, And this is one of the conversations we had maybe last year, um, early on in the pandemic, but it was also, you know, for, for the women that are listening that are thinking, okay, maybe a nonprofit board is a stepping stone to a public board. Um, how do we figure out which boards we should apply to be on, even in a nonprofit uh, capacity? And one of the things Nichelle told me was look to see who's already on the board, right? right? Because it's all about who you know and where else they have their fingers, what other pies that they can then push you forward in. So, Nichelle, if you want to talk a little bit about how you use boards as platforms and the people there, that would be really great. Yeah, sure. And and as you recall, Zabine, because I think uh, some many women who are more ju- junior in their careers, if you're not yet, let's say, over 50, for, for argument's sake, if you're in your 30s and your 40s, um, you may be approached to sit on a not-for-profit board, or there may be an issue that you're very passionate about, um, and you may you know, find an opportunity to sit on a board like that. What's important to know is that for -for not-for-profit boards, you're typically not going to be compensated and or you may actually have to uh, contribute as part of your work, but you've got to think of it as an investment in building your capacity to be on a publicly uh, traded board. So as we discussed, when you were considering um, certain not-for-profit boards, I said, look at who's on the board. Typically, especially large not-for-profits will have um, you know, sitting executives in other companies who may at some point be looking for board members for uh, for their companies, or they know people because this game is so much a game of networking. Um, you know, there's a whole kind of formalized way you can go about things, and there are executive search firms, and there are all kinds of um, sort of places you can go, kind of membership committees that you can uh, you can become a part of. But the reality is that the boards that I sit on are because people recommended me for them. Yeah. And that's, 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 I think, a very important lesson that networking here is key, right? Networking is key. And it's, you know, really being intentional about the types of boards you, you dedicate your time to. Right. Um, it could be a great cause, and it could be something you're passionate about. Um, and if you even if you know, you you say, all right, maybe the people on this board aren't going to give me the leg up. It's something that I'm passionate about. 
yes, by all means, go ahead and do it. But if your ultimate goal is to pursue board service at a public company level, you have to be very deliberate and intentional about the types of boards you sit on um, with an eye to who are the people you're going to be given access to. And I think that's, um, it may sound a little, um, I don't know what the word is, it may sound a little cutthroat, but that's that's the name of the game, whether you're you're pursuing board service or you're pursuing promotion in a corporate uh, capacity. It's exactly the same thing. I, I think that's right, Sabine. And the only thing I would add is that I would say that, you know, really, if I look back on my whole professional career, I've been sitting on boards since I was in my 20s. And that's because I was elected to my church board when I was 25 years old. Right. So that's something that, you know, it's not about who, you know, or, or but it really was a place. It was my proving ground. Right. They elected me because I was a lawyer and et cetera, et cetera. And I have served on that board for some, you know, 20 something years now, um, 30 years almost. Um, so there is a the, sort of the first one I took when I was very young and learned about governance and learned about the process. Um, and then over time, you know, then you, you kind of hone and narrow, you know, what additional boards you will sit on, because we know that as moms, we have, um, you know, as if we've got families, we've got lots of responsibilities, you know, our families as well as our, our day jobs. So you have a finite amount of time. So where are you going to invest that time to get the greatest return for, for your, your time? And if you need to rotate off of some of the other boards in order to pursue new opportunities, when they arise, then that's what you do. Yeah. So I have, for, for those of you that don't know, I have kind of forced Nichelle to be a mentor of sorts to me. So she's she's been she's been it's forced, my pleasure. She's been, she's been voluntold. <laughs> um, she's been voluntold that she is henceforth stuck with me for life, and um, she is my personal sounding board. But. One of the most important things, uh, one of the most striking things that I remember when Nichelle and I first started, when we first met and we started talking about, you know, boards and board service was, remember Nichelle, I said, I was like, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm old enough. Yes. Right? Yeah. And for all of you that are listening, you heard Nichelle sits on the board of two publicly held companies, one of which is Xerox saying, age is not a factor anymore. They are actively seeking Younger, more diverse, yes. um, uh, and more you know varied in experience and perspective. So you know, women in general, we have this issue where we get in our own way about I'm not enough, or hey, men hey. don't have this problem. Like you, you, you've seen those studies when men, a man and a woman apply to jobs. A woman, unless she sees she matches every single bullet hey. in the job description, she'll never. A man could be like working at McDonald's and he will apply to launch rockets at NASA without batting an eyelash, right? Exactly. We, need to, we need to have the confidence of men in this, right. in, in this, in this area. So you are old enough, whatever yeah. age you are, you are old enough. You are, you are experienced enough. Um, if you feel that you have something to offer, as Nichelle mentioned, something yeah. to offer to that board. Now, Michelle, before we talk about representation on boards, which is something that both of us are very passionate about, talk to us a little bit about a company like Xerox, whatever you can share at this stage. When a company like Xerox at a certain echelon of publicly traded companies, certain pedigree, when they are looking to recruit board directors, what are they looking for that sets them apart from companies that are at a different tier? Sure, you know that's funny. I'll 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 kind of cut that two ways. In some respects, they're all looking for the same thing, believe it or not. So the the two billion dollar revenue company uh, needs 
many similar skill sets as the $20 billion revenue company, right? So they're going to be looking for somebody with um, finance experience, um, finance professional who can do um, audit committee work, review financials, understands what it is to um, do reporting to the SEC. They're going to look for people who can advise on compensation, et cetera. So there's there's a general skill set, right? Um, risk and uh, now uh, increasingly kind of digital and technology, things like that, that are kind of table stakes. Then a company like Xerox is really looking to see that you've done that at a level at a at a comp- at a smaller company first, right? So I think it's 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 a bit more challenging to get on a marquee board, let's say, uh, without having prior public board experience. But once you've had uh, prior public board experience, you've had executive experience at a large company, and then again, depending on the life stage of the company, the life cycle, or what they're looking to do next, what their strategy is in the next five years or so, then they're looking for very specific things. So there have been a lot of boards. Um, you know, I've I've had a lot of conversations about boards and. Um, you know, in some cases, they'll say, we need somebody with a legal background. In other cases, they'll say, we don't want any more lawyers. We've got our general counsel and that's it. Um, it, it really is, you know, are you specialized in an industry? Can, so my first board was specialty chemicals because I was coming out of the chemicals industry. They wanted somebody with chemicals experience and they wanted somebody who could help them grow their company um, by acquisition because I had mergers and acquisitions experience. But then when you get to Xerox, it is it's, it is all of those things. And it is also, you know, have you been recommended by somebody we trust, right? And that's why boards to your, your, your point, as we're going to talk about, um, you know, really representation, historically boards have really been made up of uh, men and their friends, uh, because those are the people they've done business with and those are the people that they trust. Those are the people whose opinion they respect. So they say, okay, this is the person that I'm going to want to sit on a board with me. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I think that's, I think that's key, right? So you have to start somewhere, right? right. You can start small, build your way up. Um, and, you know, in, in, in many ways you hone those skills, whether it's in boards, whether it's in the corporate world, whether it's even as an entrepreneur, I, I think it rings true for a lot of people that you hone some of the skills that you're really good at, at the smaller companies before right. you get the chance to apply it in a larger setting. Um, so let's talk about what the boards want, because right now the boards want diversity. That is the sexy buzzword, right? right. What does diversity actually mean on a board, Michelle? Sure. So I can speak to, you know, sort of where this started in the more traditional sense and then broaden from there. So, um, you know, the U.S. is a little bit behind the times in that Europe was really the first place where it was legally mandated that their boards had to diversify. So prior to this, boards were all men. Um, and and Europe, um, certain countries in Europe um, started passing laws, and Germany was one of them that said that you had to have a certain percentage of your uh, board be women by a certain time. Um, so more women in Europe started to get on boards. And then similarly, um, California passed laws uh, about women on boards, and some other states began to follow. So the very first, um, you know, sort of uh, discussion about diversity was that the board needed to have 
women and not just one woman, but really now you need to be building your percentage. You need to have 20% women, 30% women, up to 50% women. There's an organization called um, Women 50-50 on boards, and they just changed their name because they were originally 2020. They wanted 20% uh, women on boards by the year 2020. They achieved that in the Fortune 500, and now they're looking for 50% women by the year 2050. Um, wow. So so started with women. Um, and so most companies now will have at least one woman on their board, if not two. And then the companies that are very celebrated, you know, have upwards of three or even have um, have a majority women on their boards. Um, now, in, in light of 2020 and, and all that's all of the social unrest and George Floyd, um, there's been a look at um, at ethnic and racial diversity on boards. So you should have um, some percentage of people on your boards be people of color. And the reality is that just like you want to have a diverse workforce because uh, diversity of opinion and experience um, you know, really makes for better business, they appreciate that that's also the case at the board level. So now we're looking at, you know, boards should have, you know, some combination of, because they really, in many cases, should reflect the communities they serve. So particularly if you're um, a, a B2C, you're a consumer company, and you're selling your product to people of all ethnicities, all races, all genders, etc., you should have that same representation on your board or similar representation on your board. Yeah, and I think that's so important, you know, and, and we see so many countries following suit to mandate female representation. And Michelle, as you know, uh, Jobs.mom is launching in the Middle East next month. And one of our markets is um, the UAE, uh, Dubai. Yeah. And they have recently mandated that every listed company must have at least one female director on their board, every single listed company. Um, and we have some stats here. So um, in 2020, um, female representation on boards in the Russell 3000, so the top 3000 mm -hmm. publicly traded companies, um, was 22.6%, yep. which is an improvement from the year before, which was, I think, at 19. Um, but in terms of the number of women that actually chair boards uh, of, of the publicly held uh, companies, Michelle, we're still looking at about 5%. Um, yeah. female board chairs. But Nichelle had mentioned to everybody that's listening, why um, why the push for diversity? And this is not just in boards. And Nichelle and I talk about this all the time. You know, we are co-chairs of the Council on Race and Equity. So this is front and center of every conversation ends up somehow talking about yeah. equity and diversity and inclusivity. Why is diversity important, not just on boards, but in businesses? It's as Nichelle mentioned, it's better for your company's bottom line. It's better exactly. for your business, right? And, and we say this all the time, if you don't care about the social impact or the ethics or the morals, if you didn't care about any of that, what you should care about is that diversity of experience, diversity of perspective breeds innovation, right. breeds different perspective, breeds process improvement, breeds ideation. It breeds profitability. Diversity is good for your business's bottom line. And especially with the introduction of women, and Michelle, we see the stats all the time, companies that are led by women and teams that are led by women, they outperform, outproduce, outpace, better managers, better employee retention, better customer loyalty. I mean, when you're looking at boards, I'm looking at some of the stats, 
research from scholars, so this is from Catalyst, research from scholars have found that women need to hold at least three board seats to create a critical mass, which can lead to better financial performance, right? Which is interesting. It's not just one. You can't just say I've Here's a woman, and then and here's Nichelle. Right. Yeah, here's Nichelle, who's a black woman. So I yeah. tick two boxes tick two here, boxes. right? Tick two boxes <laughs> here. Get two more. You need three Nichelles for 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 your business to start turning the tide. So, um, Nichelle, how? Right. So one thing is one thing is knowing that you need diversity. Right. One thing right. is you know the first step is awareness in everything. Where companies now need to say. Okay, it can't just be, you know, old white men on boards. We need diversity. We need women. We need different um, uh, ethnicities and races. How should boards then go about recruiting diverse talent? So we have a lot of, you know, um, employers and C-suite and stakeholders that are listening to this. It's one thing to say, all right, we want black people. We want brown people. We want Asian people. How should they then go about actually recruiting the diversity of talent? Yeah, that, that's a, another great question. I think it really, that there are a couple of ways you can do this. And I think that the one that is going to be most organic to sitting board members is because by nature, this is something that's done by network. You need to dig deeper into your network. So if you look among your colleagues and your friends and the people you play golf with and the people that you have over for dinner and the people you go out for drinks with and everybody looks exactly like you, that's a red flag, right? So so start thinking, well, gee, if I don't know any people of color, um, do my friends know any people of color? So I'm beginning to get, you know, you know, people who are calling me now and saying, hey, you know what, I'm sitting on this board and they are looking for this. Um, do you know of anybody? Because if you can connect with some people of color, then they can be potential places for recommendation. So that's the informal way of doing it. And quite frankly, I think it's the way where people are going to be more, most comfortable because if they can't personally vouch for you, if they're vouching, if somebody that they trust can vouch for you, then that's how you know you get more people of color that are engaged. Then there's a second way, which is the executive search firms, right? There are board search firms um, that you know have thousands thousands of resumes of people who are interested in sitting on boards. Um, and if you can give them, you know, specifics and you're willing to pay the, the, the fee, then they can send you diverse candidates. Right. Um, and then I think that the third way is looking at some of the professional organizations um, that are affinity type organizations. So um, executive leadership uh, council, which is, you know, uh, uh, ELC is uh, is uh, Black executives, uh, Black C-suite, you know, membership organization. Ascend is a similar organization for Asians, and this is where a lot of um, executives join these organizations and affiliations so that they can kind of network within those. But if you're looking for members, you can call ELC, for example, and say, "I'm looking for a candidate that has these qualities," and they they can give you a list if you really have no other way of getting to a, a person of of color directly. Yeah. And, you know, again, as, as I mentioned before, I have the benefit of being able to call Nichelle and text Nichelle and say, you know, these people have contacted me and they want me to be on the board and they want me to. And Nichelle is kind of held hostage by this because she has no choice but to respond. Um, but but this is our chance, Nichelle, for everybody, you know, that's listening to, to kind of pick your brain about this. You know, 
as you know, I'm I'm I've been approached a number of times by a number of of boards, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, there was there was one very important thing that we spoke about when I was talking to you about, you know, should I do this? Should I be on this board? Um, and besides, you know, what you had mentioned, you know, who's on the board, you had mentioned that, you know, don't be um, lulled into a false sense of I'm on a board, so I'm just going to kind of show up every now and then and and kind of, you know, do something and show my face. There is quite a bit of work involved. And I know this when you have board meetings and you disappear right. for a week and you tell me, Z, I'm going to be offline and you know, you deal with all the um, special people that we normally deal with. Um, You're going to have to deal with those people by yourself for a week. So talk a little bit, Nichelle, in terms of realistically, what somebody can expect if they were to join a publicly held board, what type of work, time commitment. We know that you have the flexibility around the year, but what does, what does that actually entail? Because it is, it is quite rigorous parts of it. Sure. And, and again, it depends on, on the board as well. So your standard, I will say, publicly traded uh, company board um, that isn't doing anything out of the ordinary. So just, you know, run of the mill business, grow, et cetera. Um, if you have five meetings a year, those meetings are typically a day and a half to two days long. Um, and those include meetings for the committee. So you're you're a director, and you probably you've probably been assigned to one or two committees. So you have to review the materials for the committees and those meetings, and for the board meetings. So typically, you would get your board materials, let's say, the Friday before a meeting is scheduled, and the meeting may be the following Tuesday or Wednesday. It's a few hundred uh, hundred pages, um, you know, a deck that that goes through the financials, the strategy, and anything that the, the um, executive team wants to share with the board. You're going to review all of those materials, and you're going to have opinions and questions, etc., um, things that you want to jot down, and, and then you go to the committee committee meetings and then the board meetings and you present your opinions, your questions, you get those things clarified. So that's going to happen, you know, maybe, you know, five times a year if a company is doing nothing. But take, for example, the Xerox board when they were considering the the HP um, hostile takeover, then their meetings increased exponentially. They were meeting at least once a month, right? And there are going to be materials that are going to be presented beforehand. You know, here's a deck that's 30 pages or 50 pages. You need to review this deck. Um, you know, here's something that's coming from the investment bankers, or here's an opinion from, you know, our auditors, etc. So if a company is doing anything out of the ordinary, then your time commitment increases and the materials that you have to review in, increase as well. And then, for example, mutual funds, which is a whole different beast of, um, of, of boards, um, tend to be, because they're reviewing a lot of advisory contracts, that's a, a whole different ballgame. So you may have four or five meetings, you may have more than that, but you can review thousands of pages of materials instead of hundreds of pages. And you can get your, your board book you know, two weeks in advance instead of three days in advance. So it depends on the type of uh, board that you sit on, but it really is a, a kind of deep dive into the materials that they present and provide. And then in the off cycle, you're really looking at, you know, different webinars and, and you know, membership meetings that you attend to, to really keep yourself abreast of all of the issues that are important, um, you know, audit issues or, um, or ESG issues, so that when you do have your board meeting, you have something current that you can present or something you're keeping in mind, a question that you can ask your board to keep your company in its best position. 
Now that's really that's really interesting because you know when you talk about the work that goes into uh, being on a board, it's very sexy, right? I sit on the board of directors. You Sounds know, sexy. Sounds sexy, <laughs> right? Um, but it's a lot of work and it's quite a bit of responsibility because you're answering to the shareholders, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you're also you know, in charge essentially of the the entire executive suite of the company, right? Right. Um, so, you know, with that being said, Nichelle, let's say, and and you know, this will be my last question before we wrap up. Um, let's say they they've they've brought you, Nichelle. They've diversified the board. We've got a woman. Check. We've yeah. got a black woman. Check. She's brilliant. <laughs> check. Fantastic. Yeah. You get on Nichelle. And I think this is something a lot of women can relate to, whether it's an executive board uh, or, or any kind of board, the PTA board, any board. Right. You get on and it turns out that you are either, number one, uh, a token, right? Um, or number two, it's not what you had initially signed up to do. Yeah. Where do you go from there? So number one, how do you as a minority on a board, a black woman, speak up to say, hey, I'm, you know, I would like to actually enact some of the change that I was brought on to do. How do you do that in a board that maybe thought their, you know, responsibility ended when they just put you on the board, mm-hmm. right? And then number two, if you, after a while, see that maybe this is not aligned how do you exit a board before the 10 years? Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that the most important thing, even before you get there is to do your due diligence, because even more than, you know, you'll be presented with opportunities. Some may not be of interest to you. Some may be of interest to you. Some, you may think uh, I've got ethical concerns about this or, 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 but let's say the company is great. They, there's nothing that you, you, you question in terms of what the company does or sells or the service it provides. You've got to really have conversations with every member of the board and establish that the culture of the board is a place where you think that you can thrive and contribute. So there are a lot of questions that you're asking uh, up front so that hopefully you don't get into that situation. But having done that, there's really only so much that you can learn in several one-hour conversations with every member of the board before you get there, right? Some of it you learn as you go along, um, that, you know, as you're on the, on the board. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to understand and establish um, at the very beginning you know, there's there's a period where you're you're really learning. You're learning the people. You're learning um, how the board interacts. You're learning the culture, and you don't have to prove that you're st- the smartest person in the room. So you don't have to speak up just for the sake of speaking up. But you've got to exercise your voice, and you've got to be confident um, in in what your values are and what your beliefs are, and you have to feel comfortable sharing them. And you have to appreciate that. Um, people may not necessarily agree with your views, right? So I, I think. If you go in eyes wide open, I've done my diligence. I, I think I have a, a reasonable uh, view about you know 
what these people are and what their values are. And I know that at the very least, I'm going to have an opportunity to present my views. And I, you know, I, you know, I'm part of the women corporate directors. I'm part of a number of organizations. And we talk about this all the time, especially in light of, um, you know, what's been happening uh, with, with social unrest, you know, when and how often do you speak up and do you say, Hey, um, is this something that we're looking at? And I think you've got to see it as, you know, as a woman, as a person of color, it's, your responsibility, because part of the reason you're being brought uh, brought on, you're of course brought on for all of your expertise and the value that you add, but that you share, you show, or you can um, you can present a perspective that they may not see or understand. Um, and and I think great boards will hear and will respond and will say, "Hey, we haven't thought about that," or "Yes, we have thought about that," and here's how we're addressing it. That's how companies grow and develop and become great companies. Um, if you're on a board, uh, however, where you're really hitting a wall and you're really seeing things that you hadn't expected you would see, um, and you think it's not right for you for whatever reason, then you respectfully say you know what, I think maybe this isn't something that I can continue. So you serve out your term because most um, directors are elected annually. And then you'll say, you know, I can't really sit for for election again for the next term. Um, and, and I have friends who have had those experiences. You know, they've been on a board for a couple of years. And I was like, wait, I thought you had to sit on the board until, you know, some crazy event or 10 years or you retire or something. And and sometimes they say, no, it didn't it didn't turn out to be what I expected, in which case I just say, OK, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll be rotating off. Yeah. And I think, you know, Nichelle, what you just said, I think is so valuable and so beautiful, whether it's with the board, whether it's at, at your jobs, whether it's, you know, in your community organizations, we have to be, you know, as women, especially we, as a gender, as a whole are, are very bad at speaking up. Yeah. We're, we're bad at it. Right. Um, and when we see that we are in a minority in, in terms of an opinion, that's when we're even less likely to speak up. But what Nichelle has just said is when you find yourself in the minority is when you must speak up is right. because it, it's because that's why they brought you there because right. you are in the minority so that you can present a completely different perspective. But there's an element of confidence you need to have an element of fearlessness you need to have. Um, and it sounds silly. Why do you need to be, you need to be fearless. You're sitting in on a board, right. you know, with, with, you know, tens of directors that, you know, are completely on the other end of the spectrum potentially from you, idealistically, right. ethically, whatever. And you have to dissent. They are telling, they, they have brought you onto that board for the sole purpose of providing a dissenting opinion. And that's, what's going to force the board and the company to grow and change. Right. Exactly. And, and it's actually something they've brought you on for, whether they know it or not. They may not even realize, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of companies are responding now to, oh my goodness, we've got to diversify because we know that NASDAQ has this rule that's out or this, um, this state where we're incorporated has this rule. Um, so they're going to put somebody in a seat without fully appreciating that part of the perspective that person is bringing is I'm going to show you something that you cannot otherwise see. And I'm not going to present anything to the board that's going to be um, not in the best interest of the company and the shareholders because my fiduciary duty is to the shareholders. So if I'm presenting it, it's because I think it's what's best for the company and the shareholders. And that's the part uh, you have to get them to appreciate. Yeah. And, and you and I both know, and everybody listening knows change is hard. 
Yes, right? it is. Um, and uh, unwelcome. Change mm-hmm. is hard and unwelcome, right? Yeah. It's unwelcome. So I think if you accept that it's hard and it's unwelcome, you fortify yourself mentally uh, to do that work, to speak up, to dissent, to say, hey, wait a second. I sit on this board too, and this is my voice, and this is my perspective, and this is why you need to listen. Because as Michelle mentioned, they brought you on because they value your expertise. Um, and why would you be there if you didn't speak up, right? Right. Why would you right. be there if you didn't? Yeah. And mind you, as you know, Zabine, this is not very different from, as you said, what our our entire experience as professional women, right? This is why we are in the companies we're in, at the firms where we are, because this is a lifetime of experience that we've gone through and, and a lifetime of opportunities to create change wherever we are. Absolutely. And, you know, um, and, and we'll, I'll share um, in, in the episode de- description, I'll share some of the stats that I shared today about performance of companies, performance of boards, performance of businesses, when um, there is a diverse uh, C-suite, when there's diverse leadership, when there are diverse directors, um, companies um, that are diverse in their leadership, that diversify their strategy, that include diverse perspectives, by and large outperform their peers and their competitors, um, bar none. Um, Absolutely. Bar none, uh, with no condition, no exception. Um, so women, all of you that are listening, um, you are needed, you are wanted, your perspective, your expertise are valued. It's just a matter of making it known that you are ready, willing, and able uh, to take on that work. Um, and Nichelle, um, do you want to share before we go a little bit more about your board coaching capabilities, what you're doing now? You do some independent consulting. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Sure. So, um Sabine, if they reach out to, to you and your company, they can get my my information directly. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can always send me information uh, or, or a, a query on LinkedIn. Um, the entity that we're putting together or the uh, business where we're going to be doing individualized coaching for women who are looking at board service, um, everything from, you know, how do I put together my LinkedIn profile and my, my board um, uh, CV, resume, et cetera, board bio, um, and then who do I need to be in Introduced to and what you know, organizations should I become a part of? It's it's designed to be about a six month coaching process where we take you through some um, some materials and we have um, intermittent kind of coaching sessions with you, and then you have the opportunity to 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 look at um, search firms. So um, that's that's one way, or you know, any other thing you want to reach me about, you know, M and A or any work, executive work. Uh, happy to happy to have conversations with folks. Perfect. And I will share all of Nichelle's um, information, contact details, LinkedIn and websites um, in the episode uh, uh, description. Um, Nichelle Maynard-Elliott. Nichelle, thank you so much for being here with me today. Sabine, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Oh, my pleasure. That was Nichelle, Nichelle Maynard-Elliott, board director appointed to the board of Xerox starting May 2021, and my friend and co-chair of the Newcastle Council on Race and Equity. Uh, For those of you that are listening, uh, you can get in touch with Nichelle, check out her details, and of course, jobs.mom, by the time you listen to this, will be getting ready to launch in 10 markets in May 2021. We will be launching in the United Kingdom kingdom in nine markets across the Middle East and of course in Asia Pacific. So stay tuned. And until then, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and we'll see you next time. I'm Zabine Mirza and this was Moms at Work. 
follow us on social media, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work. Así soy yo.